You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. this person up and see if we can find if the person really did die at that point. I mean, we've got all the information. Who's that? This Miss Simmons. Can we also talk about how these people, like, die of... Are they rabbits? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Welcome to Strange Familiars. If you've seen something strange, something paranormal, a cryptid like Bigfoot, a ghost, a UFO, or if you know of a story you think we should cover, you can email us Strange Familiars Podcast at gmail.com. How are you doing tonight, Allison? Doing fine, just contemplating um, tech laden shoes and people who die of fright. <laughs> are, are these people rabbits? That's my question. So many people just can't recover from seeing a ghost. Like, have we gotten hardier since then? Again, um, I, I ran into this again and again in these old wild man articles I collected about how many of these people would see one of these wild men and just die. Just their lives were despaired of. Did something else horrible happen that they're not mentioning? Yeah, I don't know. I think everybody w- had tuberculosis and then maybe, you know. <laughs> Everyone was born with a congenital heart anomaly. Right. <laughs> the fact that they were over five was a statistical anomaly in itself. And Exactly. I'm looking at the paper with what we're about to read, and it's another case of someone who died of fright. I'm... It's amazing. It is. If true. I also would like to add that this takes place in a town which has a matching town in our state, which on New Year's Eve drops a goat. You are getting so far ahead of things. We need to introduce <laughs> what we're talking about, because this is episode three of Spring-Heeled Jack and the Prowling Ghosts. It's a new, it's, I heard that it's a new Fluvog uh, shoe for this year. <laughs> Spring-Heeled Jack. Yeah. They're way out of everyone's price range, though. They always are. 
I only know that because you told me about them Some, somewhat recently. <laughs> they apparently have been a thing for a long for time. decades. <laughs> have you heard of Doc Martens? <laughs> yes, I have heard of those. Mary Jane's? Boots. I thought that was a style issue. That's true. Buster Brown. Yes. That was the only kind of shoes that children our age were ever allowed to get, I believe. I remember there was a giant shoe in the store where you could tie the giant laces on. Is that how you learned? No, no. <laughs> I actually taught myself to tie my shoes. So. so did I. That's by the time Velcro came out. <laughs> <laughs> so we're into episode three of spring Jack and the Prowling Ghosts. If you haven't heard the previous two episodes, you might want to go back and listen because we're doing them in chronological order. And we're in the 1800s now. Yes, what year is it? I think we left off in the late 1820s. and I think we I thought we were already into the 1830s. Because we were talking about um, the ladies with the big um, bonnets in the late 1830s. Was it the 1830s? Yeah. I think we left off in the 1830s. <laughs> I know we're going to start today in the 1830s as well. Uh, for those uh, who need a recap, basically this started with Lee Master, the ghost that Chad and I investigated around Westminster, Maryland. He was supposed to have dressed up like a ghost. Someone wrote to the podcast, sent an email, and said, hey, this was a thing, and pointed us to these prowling ghosts around the UK. And spring Jack, of course, was a big phenomenon in the 19th century. So we've done, I guess, a pretty deep dive on these. I'm a pretty obsessive researcher, and we found out all we could as far as tracking down the original articles about these guys. I have to say, I remember us talking about spring Jack before, and for some reason I was getting him confused with the black-eyed dogs, and for some reason I thought Jack was a dog. Ah, like Black Shook. Yeah, mm. Black Shook. That's who yes. I was getting him confused with. It's hard to keep them all straight, to be honest. Well, it's not your folklore. It isn't my folklore. <laughs> the interesting thing about these ghosts is that while most of them appear to be just guys throwing sheets over their heads and putting on scary masks and playing tricks on people, there are other weird things reported. And that's the things I really like about the story. That... Oh, like the people that have some sort of tech to blow blue flames at people. Yeah, or, or people engulfed in flames or glowing red eyes or making these superhuman leaps, which is why they attributed the spring heels in the boots. They said, oh, they must have spring heels in their boots because they're making these superhuman leaps over walls and so forth. Like, has anybody been able to reconstruct a boot that will help you do that? I don't think so. I think that was just them putting together things and trying to, like, how could they have done this? So there seems to be this element of weirdness that's woven into these otherwise, you know, what might just be weird history, true crime stories. So it's kind of perfect for strange familiars. So we are continuing with spring Jack, who has become now sort of a sensation throughout England. The next report has spring Jack frightening a young woman to death. And this is from the London Dispatch and People's Political and Social Reformer. At this point, the newspaper titles get longer and longer. I think they match the addresses. 
I think they think... It's always like the red barn past the corner stable on the third rail (laughs) off of... (laughs) I think they thought that the longer your newspaper title was, the The more more important... The more gravitas. Yes, exactly. So from the London Dispatch and People's Political and Social Reformer, October 28th, 1838. And I'm going to pronounce this town as we do in Pennsylvania, which is Falmouth. Okay. Okay. I think it's Falmouth here, isn't it? It is. Once again, we're going to apologize to, to our, our British, British listeners <laughs> for our pronunciation of these towns, which we are no doubt butchering. We're going to do our best. So once again, I loved saying this newspaper title. From the <laughs> London Dispatch and People's Political and Social Reformer, October 28th, 1838. Springhill Jack, on Saturday night as Miss Simmons, eldest daughter of Mr. John Simmons of Greenbank, Falmouth, who had been spending the evening with some friends, was returning to her father's house, attended by a manservant. When she nearly reached the gate, some miscreants caught hold of her dress, which terrified her to such a degree that on entering the house she became seriously ill and continued so until Tuesday morning when she expired from the effects of the fright. As soon as we're done this episode tonight, I'm going to look up. There's enough facts here. We've got a date. We've got a name. We've got her father's name. We've got an exact location. There's got to be a cause of death, and it better say frightened by ghosts. <laughs> As the cause of death yes. on the death certificate. We actually could probably do a show, Frightened to Death, and look up all these different people from these different articles, because, again, I have a bunch of them from Wildman articles, and see who really was frightened to death, if we can find. I mean, becoming seriously ill can be anything from, like, I mean, maybe when she was out and about that night, she ate something. Sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's I mean, awesome. it's... 1838, you're trying your luck just having dinner. <laughs> <laughs> that report seems to be the last reported Spring Hill Jack encounter of 1838. But by that time, there had been so many sightings and attacks that Spring Hill Jack had become a household name. Does it seem like this time period is particularly dangerous? Like, I feel more fear for these people in their everyday lives than I f- fear for myself. I mean, again, you know what we're working up to. Yeah. (laughs) We're working up to 1888, which, you know, people may or may not know what comes with that. And we will get to that eventually. But I think so. You know, I think it was a, I think it was kind of a dangerous place, particularly for women. Again, and as you said, it's always been. uh, That's what you said last time as well. But I think, you know, these stories certainly highlight that. So spring Jack resurfaces again in 1841. He took some years off? I imagine there were some reports in there that either I couldn't find or just, you know, maybe didn't make the papers or... Or in different areas. Yeah. The Bristol Mercury reports another assault. This is from February 13th, 1841. Disgraceful outrage. On Sunday evening, as a young female, about 14 years of age, named Hurd and residing in Park Square, Lamb Street was returning to her home when near the bottom of Park Street, she was seized hold of by a tall man dressed in a rough greatcoat, who with many imprecations, if she uttered a syllable, took out a sharp pair of scissors and in a minute cut off the whole of the hair at the back of part of her head. The poor girl, as may well be imagined, was dreadfully frightened. This, we suppose, is one of the freaks of the unmanly ruffian who under the name of Springheeled Jack has been lurking about in by places lately and annoying and frightening females. We sincerely trust that the police may pitch upon him and that the springiness of his heels may be put to a severe test on the treadmill. 
In March of 1841, the Bristol Mercury reported the capture of a Springheel Jack imposter. Capture of an imposter of Springheel Jack. A decently attired but forbidding-looking youth who gave his name as William Irish and who was stated to be a journeyman shoemaker was charged with being dressed in disguise for the purpose of alarming persons and also with assaulting Mrs. Long. The prisoner was directed to put on his disguise, which was a huge coat of long, rough, shaggy hair, with a large hood or cape coming over the head and completely enveloping his person so that he presented altogether the appearance of a great rough bear. Mrs. Long, being sworn, said she was standing on the previous evening about 11 o'clock just inside her shop door on Redcliffe Hill when a figure dressed like the prisoner advanced towards her and stretched out its arms as if with the purpose of catching hold of her. She was exceedingly frightened and rushed into her house. The night was very foggy so that she could not see the figure till it was nearly close to her. Mary Ann Brackenberry stated that she was coming out of her house on Redcliffe Hill about the same time when the figure came up to her and endeavored to catch hold of her, evidently with the intent of frightening her. She was greatly alarmed and screamed out. The figure then went down to Redcliffe Hill, but almost immediately returned and came up for a second time. She ran into a shop and fell down from fright, and the person, whoever it was, caught hold of her gown. Not content with that, he came to her a third time, and she only got rid of him by threatening to throw a bottle at him. The policeman on duty on Redcliffe Hill said being informed that a man in disguise had been frightening several females, he went in search of him and met him just as he was coming round the corner. He instantly seized hold of him, but he jumped out of his large coat and ran off. He, the constable, followed and traced him to the house of Mr. Yeo, Taylor, Redcliffe Hill, where he apprehended him. Inspector Bosworth said the prisoner, when taken, acknowledged himself to be the person and said he did it for a frolic. There were a number of other females frightened, and the whole neighborhood was in a state of ferment. The prisoner, in his defense, said the coat belonged to a Captain Andrews who was about to go to sea from Liverpool, and he was taking it to the packet to have it sent to him, when instead of carrying it on his arm, he put it on to keep himself warm, but with no intention of frightening anybody. Mr. Peter Yayo said the prisoner and his brother-in-law and had the coat from his house for the purpose he stated. He was not absent altogether more than three or four minutes and could not have played the same frolic before as he never had the coat till that evening. The coat was a sea dress belonging to Captain Andrews. Mr. Wood said it was quite clear the prisoner put the coat on with the intention of frightening females, and the worthy magistrate, after reading the young man a severe lecture, sentenced him to pay a fine in costs and in default of payment to go to Bridewell for three weeks and also to enter into his own bail, and two sureties to keep the peace for three months towards all Her Majesty's subjects. The prisoner, not being able to pay the money, was taken to prison. So I think that's interesting because some articles accuse basically anybody who attacks a woman as being spring Jack or a spring Jack or a member of the spring Jack gang. As if they had monthly meetings. But this one calls the captured young man an imposter. So it's like they're like, he wasn't the spring Jack. He was a spring Jack imposter for some reason. He's just, uh, when you find a coat like that and you want to annoy some of your friends. Or scare the dickens out of some women. The dickens. Oh, appropriate. <laughs> I did not do that on purpose. April 11th, 1841, sees Springheel Jack return to the greater London area. This is from the London Examiner. Springheel Jack again. A writer, who is evidently fond of exaggeration, states, During the past week, much alarm has pervaded the neighborhood of King's Road, Camden Town, and caused as much terror in the minds of the female portion of the inhabitants as did the pranks and gambles of Springheel Jack on his first appearance about three years since. Indeed, they are afraid to leave their houses after nightfall, the cause of all this fear on the part of the females is a tall man, or brute, enveloped in a large blue cloak, with glasses of a dark color over his eyes, which give him a most awful appearance. As soon as night comes, on he patrols the above road, 
but on the appearance of any male, he darts into a doorway and hides until his disturber has passed. Here he will remain until he sees a female, when he suddenly jumps from his hiding place and assaults his helpless victim in a most shameful manner. Now, is this the same King's Road that, you know, I only know these locations from either bands, punk rock history, or <laughs> or places where people have had shows. So I know Hammersmith from the Hammersmith Palais. Mm-hmm. Is this the King's Road, like the legendary King's Road where... Um, you know, Vivian Westwood and absolutely 100% it is. <laughs> Do you know? I don't know. know. <laughs> we have a friend in England who's going to help us um, decipher some of the different layers of history. Well, he's in America. Oh, is he? But he's British. Mark Anthony White. He's going to come on and offer some commentary and some additional stories and so forth uh, after we're finished the main part of the story. Okay. So spring Jack's form in these stories, he seems to have changed from ghostly figures enveloped in blue flames or you know, gifted with glowing eyes or whatever, to what seems to be all too human brutes, basically, just intent on... Just people, like, laying in wait, trying to pop out and hurt people. Essentially women and children. Mm -hmm. It's essentially people intent on harming or frightening women and children. So a couple stories back, I mentioned Ellen Hurd, who was scared by a spring-heeled jack. And in August 1841, the Bristol Mercury carried a story kind of updating her story about her being sent to a mental hospital after a Spring Hill Jack attack. Ellen Hurd was charged with obtaining goods from a grocer named Strickland by means of false pretenses. It appeared from the evidence that the prisoner, an exceedingly delicate and neat-looking girl of 14, whose vacant expression of countenance denoted that her mental faculties were not in a healthy state, went to the shop on Saturday and obtained a pound of sugar and some other articles in the name and on credit of a respectable tradesman named Peyton, by whom she had been employed, but whose service she had left on the day prior to that in which the offense was committed. These facts, which were deposed to, clearly made out the charge, but as the complainant, from motives of compassion, forbore to prosecute, she was discharged and removed from the bar in a state of half-sense insensibility into which she had fallen during the examination. Her mother, who was present, was also so much affected by the proceedings as to faint away, and she likewise was obliged to be carried out of the room." The prisoner's brother-in-law, in the course of the investigation, addressed some observations to the bench from which, as well as from the reports of Inspector Atwood and the police officers, we learnt the following painful particulars concerning her. Up to the period referred to in the present charge, she had borne a most exemplary character, and as lately as December last was in full possession of her intellectual powers. In the course of that month, some miscreant, who we are sorry to say has escaped detection and who has been frightening persons in various parts of the city under the assumed character of spring Jack, attacked her in Park Street as she was going on an errand and cut off all of her hair. She was so dreadfully terrified by the outrage as to become deranged, and after remaining at home for some time in a state of much danger, she was admitted an inmate of the lunatic ward of St. Peter's Hospital. After a while, she, under the care of the medical attendants of that institution, became so far recovered as to justify her discharge, and she was returned to her friends and subsequently employed by Mr. Payton. Although not in a state to warrant her detention at the hospital, she has never recovered full possession of her mental faculties, and having fallen in with a designing girl who lives at a house of notorious character in Gloucester Lane, she was by her persuaded to leave her friends and subsequently to take up goods in the name of her late master from Mr. Strickland and others. She lived with this girl who took her away to Bath from the time of her leaving her parents' home, shortly before the commission of the crime with which she was charged, till yesterday, when the latter, failing to get as much money through her means as she had expected, strongly urged her to go and drown herself and turn her into the street. 
Thus abandoned by her betrayer, she wandered about the streets and at length accosted a woman to whom she disclosed the particulars of her connection with this girl whose Christian name Julia only is known, and also of the frauds committed upon Mr. Peyton. The woman advised her to allow, apply to the police, and the prisoner immediately went to the officer on duty at St. Philip's Station, where she told everything, and was very properly detained until she could be brought before the magistrates. The case of this unhappy girl appeared to excite much commiseration in the office, and the worthy magistrates seemed rejoiced at the opportunity afforded them by the prosecutor to hand her over to the care of her friends, whom they admonished to look well after her. Was she just blaming her bad behavior on this spring-heeled jack attack? Or was she so tra traumatized, like maybe it wasn't just haircutting? Oh, yeah. You, oh, that yeah, she yeah, I mean, was forced to spend some time recovering from it. Yeah, perhaps. Very interesting follow-up. We will get back to our stories of Spring Hill Jack in just a moment. So it's a good day when you get a box of food in the mail. Yeah, especially when it has goodies. <laughs> it's a great day when that box comes from Wild Foods. Strange Familiars is brought to you by Wild Foods. You can find them at wildfoods.co and use the code STRANGE for 12% off your entire order. This week, we've fallen in love with the wild coffee. I have to say, though, I actually fell in love with it previously. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is the first week I've tried it, though. You've been on the wild coffee before. It's fantastic coffee. Small batch roasted, it's Peruvian. They even tell you at which elevation the coffee was grown at and what kind of soil. That's the kind of particular attention to detail that I enjoy. Yeah, right? <laughs> and that kind of extends to the bag itself. The bag itself is even compostable. Check out Wild Foods for quality, healthy, sustainable food and wellness products. They have everything from coffee to fish oil. Every single product is painstakingly sourced from small farms around the globe. They take their mission seriously to fix the broken food system. They believe food is medicine. So you can find them at wildfoods.co. Don't forget to enter the code STRANGE for 12% off your entire order. Wild Foods, products you can feel good about because they're sustainably sourced and they're good for you. spring Jack assumed his weirder antics as of October 24th, 1841, when the London era printed this report. Spring-Heeled Jack again. The inhabitants of Tottenham and Edmonton have been much alarmed for the last three weeks in consequence of the report that Spring-Heeled Jack had made his appearance in that neighborhood. He has been seen by several persons who describe him as emitting fire from his mouth and flinging it about as he runs away. He generally visits the byways and lanes between 8 and 10 o'clock at night. Some nights ago, policeman Panchet was on duty near the church at Tottenham when his attention was suddenly arrested by seeing a figure answering this description. He went towards it when it ran away rapidly, throwing fire in the road with both hands. Panchet picked up a piece of wood which had been thinly covered with a phosphoric substance. Panchet was led into the churchyard where he called out the specter, which made no answer and quickly disappeared. On Thursday, the specter paid a visit to Burnett, a gardener living near Bruce Castle, Tottenham. Burnett was asleep in his cottage when he was awakened by his door being suddenly burst open. He went to the door immediately and observed the same object at the door that had been seen by the policeman. He was about to follow him when he was stopped by hearing the screams of his children and his wife, who was springing a rattle, they having heard someone on top of the house. The police are looking out for this jackass in disguise. Isn't that like a common Bigfoot thing to hear, like, 
on top of the house. On top of the house. It's a common folkloric thing from all over the world. Different folkloric creatures climb on the roof. It's something I'm very interested in because I don't know if that's... Just a power move? Right, yeah, in a way. It's it's kind of saying, like, you walk on the floor and we walk on the roofs kind of thing, or if it's it's something else, you know. The other thing is, like, if you're living in London at a time when it's easy to hop from one roof to another, it, it, he may very well have been able to, to get a, gain access to a roof in a way that... You know, if you're out in a cabin somewhere, it's less likely that someone's jumping from roof to roof. Mm-hmm. True, true. But he seemed to be at the door. And again, maybe there was two of them, you know. maybe. And was... maybe he uses spring heels. Well, there you go. So we're all the way up to 1842. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine sometime at like 3 a.m., four days from now, we're like, in 1973. <laughs> So that's the name of the town. There. Okay. The name of the town is I? Yeah. That's a cool name. So on April 2nd of 1842, the Ipswich Journal carried the story of a spring Jack caught, but which then disappeared. The peaceful slumbers of this town have been for some time past disturbed by the nocturnal visits of spring Jack and his friends. A meeting of magistrates was held on Saturday last to inquire into the matter. It had happened, unfortunately, for spring Jack and his companions, that a party of gentlemen who had been spending the evening of the previous Wednesday at a friend's house had scarcely left when they heard the cry of police and the breaking of windows. They immediately hastened to the spot and after a chase of a few minutes succeeded in capturing one of these nightly marauders. Oh, here comes some Latin. (laughs) (laughs) Quantum mutatus ab illo was poor Jack. Oh, let me go, he claimed. My character is forever ruined. His cries for mercy proved of none effect, and Jack, after some time, was lodged in the station house. Not content with his place of rest, Jack, whose knowledge of his profession here proved of great avail to him, soon contrived to make his escape, and has not since been heard of. It is supposed he has fled to Naples. Some suppose that by some chemical process Jack was converted into a spirit, and so managed to make his escape. The two young men who were brought up on suspicion of being concerned with Jack were, after a suitable admonition, dismissed. Some extra policemen have been appointed to prevent any further annoyance to the inhabitants. So they caught him and he disappeared. By some chemical process. That's what they say. They're trying to explain the weirdness, I it think. It is also very interesting that this happens, you know, within the first three years of photography, where you're, you're actually capturing someone with a chemical process. Sure. Their yeah. likeness for the first time ever. So besides some brief mentions, Spring Hill Jack's sightings seemed to wane for a few years until 1845, when they pick up again from the Leicester Chronicle or Commercial and Leicester Mercury. That's one paper. These titles are awesome. <laughs> January 25th, 1845. The Birmingham Journal states that some fellow has for several weeks past been playing the ghost and Spring Hill Jack in the vicinity of that town that several females have been made seriously ill by the fright they have thus received, and that there is reason to believe the disguise is also assumed for the purpose of enabling the wearer to commit robbery. Had no one thought of a disguise before this era? (laughs) I like the idea, though, that some of these outfits are uh, not overly practical and seem to just lend an air of theatrics. Yeah, very much so. Like, I I don't know. I mean, if I were going to sneak around and attack people, I probably wouldn't, you know... Wear a blue velvet cloak or something. Or, or a helmet <laughs> or <with laughs> some sort of contraption to blow fire out of it. Yeah, it yeah. just seems like extra. 
The Leeds <laughs> Weekly newspaper from London reported another Spring Hill Jack, February 9th, 1845. Capture of Spring Hill Jack. On Wednesday, at the Brentford Petty Sessions, Richard Bradford, a man about five feet four inches high, dressed in the garb of a butcher, was brought up in discharge of his veil before Mr. Bailey, Reverend Dr. Walmsley, and Reverend H.S. Trimmer, the sitting magistrates, to answer the following singular charge. It appeared that for some weeks past, much excitement and alarm has existed throughout the neighborhood of Hanwell and Ealing by the circulation of reports that numerous persons, particularly females, had been dreadfully frightened and alarmed by the appearance in the lanes between those villages and the towns of Brentford of a creature supposed to be supernatural, which at times assumed a stunted form and at others was of extraordinary magnitude and extreme height, each, however, concurring that its head was surmounted by an enormous pair of horns. On the reports reaching the ears of the police of the district, every means was adopted to secure the individual who was affrighting the neighborhood from its propriety, but they were not successful until the evening of last Sunday, the week of the 26th, when Police Constable Denton T. received information that Springhill Jack had been seen that evening in Boston Lane, which is two and a half miles long, leading from Brentford to Hanwell. Denton, accordingly, immediately proceeded there and met the prisoner dressed in women's clothes over his own dress and carrying with him a stable pitchfork, which it is supposed he raised above his head and formed the imaginary horns, which have created such great alarm. On the following day, the prisoner was taken before Mr. Bailey, a local magistrate at Hanwell, by whom he was held to bail for his appearance at the above petty sessions. On Wednesday, the gown, shawl, bonnet, and apron, and also the pitchfork and a stick which the prisoner had in his other hand were produced, and occasioned much laughter in the crowded room. The prisoner, in answer to the charge, declared that he was not the individual who had alarmed the inhabitants in the manner above described by that having on that evening been told by a man who, while passing with a horse and cart through Boston Lane, that he had been frightened very near to death, he determined to go in search of the offender and disguised and armed himself for the purpose in the manner stated. He trusted the bench would discharge him on that occasion, and would promise solemnly never to do again as long as he lived, let it be to catch Springhill Jack or anyone else. None of the persons frightened being in attendance, although they had promised to attend the bench, after a suitable admonition to the prisoner, as to his future conduct, ordered him to be discharged. So do you believe that lie? I was just going to ask you if you believed that that pitchfork accounted for the horns i think the pitchfork could have easily accounted for the horns do i believe this story that i was just being a good samaritan out looking for the guy dressed up as a woman we are so different in our interpretations (laughs) of this for me i'm like yeah he was out look he dressed as a woman deposed Uh as a woman he took the pitchfork as a weapon Uh to defend himself Uh and he went out you're just like no that was it i'm thinking they someone saw something a spooky little shadow of something. He had the pitchfork in his hand, and in their mind, it immediately became the horns. Interesting. And it was the devil. I mean, they've I mean, heard it, about Spring Hill Jack. It could have been. It, it absolutely could have been. But I also wonder at, like, the different sizes they're reporting. They're reporting one of, you know, short size and one tall size. Well, if you're holding a por- pitchfork above your head, it's going to... And you've got a gigantic bonnet on dressed as a woman. It's going to make you a little bit taller than the five feet, four inches that someone might have noticed you in your other disguises. True. Yeah. Maybe. I guess the other the other possibility is that this guy just needed an excuse for why he was walking around in, in women's, women's clothes, clothes in the 1840s. It's a little be. less progressive time. It is. It is. And those bonnets are beautiful. I'm taking him at his word. <laughs> Sucker. I believe <laughs> Sucker. I believe him. I don't I think he was falsely. He was a accused. good Samaritan. I don't know about that, but I believe that he was out. Ah yeah, I was just out uh, looking for the guy. <laughs>
We're all the way into September of 1845. On the 24th of September, the Morning Post returned to their Spring Hill coverage with this story of mistaken identity. Remarkable charge of murder. An inquest took place on Monday at Yarmouth before Mr. Ferrier, the town coroner, on the body of a man named Purdy. The case was one of a most extraordinary character, it being supposed that he came by his death in an affray with a young man of the name of Noble, while personating the mysterious Springheel Jack. From the evidence, it appeared that the deceased, who was upwards of fifty years of age, had, for several days prior to his demise, been suffering from pleurisy and inflammation of the lungs. On Saturday night, his wife, who had been nightly setting up with him, fell asleep from extreme fatigue, and during her slumber the poor man, in a state of delirium, got up, left the house, with only a shirt on, and imagining that his donkey had got loose, was sailing about the shutters of a neighboring house for his stable, when he was perceived by a female occupant of the dwelling, who, startled at an object so exceedingly strange, screamed for assistance. A young man named Henry Noble, in the employ of an engineer in the town, soon came up, and thinking that it was a spree of a certain Springheel Jack, proceeded to inflict upon the unfortunate deceased a severe punishment, who died on the following day. The surgeon who made the post-mortem examination of the body of the deceased gave it as his opinion that death was not produced by the blows, or that they even accelerated it. He attributed it entirely to internal disease. Noble was taken into the custody of the charge of having caused the death of the deceased, and was examined before the mayor, but the coroner's jury returning the verdict of natural death, he was discharged. I'm imagining that guy in his dressing gown with a real, like, wee-willy-winky kind of vibe. I don't know what that is, wee-willy-winky. Wee-willy-winky went downtown dressed in his evening gown. I guess he was like, you know, like, proto-peeping Tom. I'm not sure what wee-willy-winky did. (laughs) By the mid-1800s, it seemed like spring Jack could make an appearance anywhere in England. Not anywhere. He could be anywhere in England? It seemed that way because the reports start coming in from these towns all over England. April 3rd, 1847, the Hampshire Telegraph and Naval Chronicle, another... <laughs> That's a fantastic yeah. ...reported on another spring Jack arrest. Captain Finch, an elderly military man residing at Sheldon, has been charged before the Tainmouth magistrates with playing the disgraceful character Springhill Jack. During the winter, several women have been frightened and assaulted at night by an apparition dressed in a bull's hide with a skull cap, horns, and mask. In two cases, assaults in this masquerading dress was proved against him, and he was fined in both instances with a suitable lecture from the bench. So, because he's an elderly military captain... He's actually been proved to have assaulted two people, and he just got a fine. Whereas that kid who couldn't pay his bail for what was, in my mind, a lesser offense, he went to jail. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like it's stacked against people. (laughs) But this is another weird costume. Yeah, that I totally glossed over the strange familiars part about the fact that the guy was dressed in a bull's hide with a skull cap, horns, and mask. (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's the part we really should be talking about. But... At this point, were men bent on assaulting women just using spring Jack legends as a cover at this point? I think they just, I don't even think they were appropriating that. I think the, that it was an easy way, instead of saying, like, assaults are running rampant, violence is out of control in these areas, We've they've made a monster. But he's, I mean, he's wearing this weird costume to do it. But know? is he wearing that weird costume? Well, they say he was. <laughs> But isn't it, I mean, isn't that the Are you saying the costume is a creation of the paper? 
the costume is a creation of Spring-Heeled Jack itself. That the whole phenomenon of Spring-Heeled Jack then gets appropriated to all these heinous crimes. The people are predisposed to see a Spring-Heeled Jack when they could just see a perpetrator. Was he or was he not wearing the weird bull hide and the, and the horns? Okay, they were assaulted at night by an apparition. Mm-hmm. Dressed in bull hide. So it's an apparition to begin with. Well, they were saying. I think that they're saying that the people at the time assumed it was an apparition, dressed in a bull's hide, mm-hmm. with a skull cap, mm-hmm. horns, mm-hmm. and a mask. Mm-hmm. So you're saying he wasn't wearing that? So that's just a creation of the newspaper. Not a cre- even a creation of the newspaper. I just think a, a creation of Spring Hill Jack proper. Like everyone is assigning these char- these characteristics to someone who to random people who are just perpetrators. I think we're butting our heads up against here. But what I'm saying is, so you don't think he was ever wearing that costume? No. <laughs> then, then why is it reported as such? I think the people thought that they saw that. Oh, okay. I got you now. I got you now. Okay. I think they're ready to see Spring Hill Jack. Oh, okay. They're so... not ready to see the random guy in town who's completely unhinged. Gotcha. Interesting. Take. Doesn't it make it a more interesting story? It certainly does. If you're it's... attacked by Spring Hill Jack as it's... opposed to just like... George is a little unsettled down the street. Yeah, and I think earlier in the 1800s, the, some of those early articles where it was just like some guy in a, a long coat and glasses, I think that's absolutely what they were doing because it's just better copy to say it was spring Jack than mm-hmm. just some brute, you know. And then it makes it seem like it's part of like some sort of movement. Yeah, yeah. On May 18th, 1850, the Manchester Weekly Times and Examiner reported on a spring Jack in Wakefield. Wakefield, a ghost. We learn from the Wakefield examiner of a ghost called Springheel Jack, which terrifies the neighborhood. We had fancied, says our contemporary, that this light-heeled, frolicsome visitant of St. John's had been forever laid by the anathemas and exorcisms, coupled with the plenteous sprinkling of holy water of the inhabitants of that part of the town, but it appears we are doomed to be mistaken. No sooner is his ghost ship fairly evaporated from that locality than we again hear of his pranks on Eastmoor. The population of that place have been alarmed by this half-monster, half-man, walking the ground midst the pale glimpses of the moon, making night hideous, and some of the terrified residents cannot bring themselves to any business which may detain them after nightfall out of their houses. Some frightened fellow has declared he has seen the goblin trotting at an unearthly speed over some garden ground in his occupation, whilst the smell of brimstone might be faintly sniffed on the trees, and a most portentous cloven hoof left its mark on the ground. The goblin seems to be of some relation to Puck. Its pranks are mischievous, merely. So the strangeness returns. We have cloven hooves. We have something that's speedy, you know, that runs at great speed, unearthly speed, and brimstone smells. It's all supernatural stuff. That all goes with other supernatural sightings, including Bigfoot. Yes, we do have Bigfoot with cloven hooves in the new book, Where the Footprints End. Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money at Menards.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In January of 1853, William Turner, a man who was known by the nickname of Spring Hill Jack, was brought up on charges of robbery. Spring Hill Jack was just his nickname. It was possibly earned because he was quick on his feet. And this is unrelated to the prowling ghost phenomenon. Another man bearing the nickname was also arrested on August 1860, Malachi Lasky. He was imprisoned for 21 days for begging. The name Spring Hill Jack seems to now just become part of culture. There were also more than a couple horses named spring Jack or Spring Jack, which were racing at the time. You can see them come up in the paper. Oh, that's a great name. Later in the 1860s, a play appeared bearing the title of spring Jack or The Flying Highwayman. By 1865, Remember When articles began appearing in the papers speaking of spring Jack assaults of the past. So this kind of like, remember when, you know, <laughs> oh, 10 years ago today. Oh, back in the day when we just had that kind of spring Jack. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Dundee Courier and Argus in Scotland started mentioning their own prowling ghost in the area, which was called Spring Heels. This ghost was said to be gigantic. In February of 1868, a series of illustrated booklets were published under the title of Spring Heel Jack, the Terror of London, documenting the startling adventures and daring deeds of Spring Heel Jack. A play by the same name debuts in London, June 1868. In September 1869, the Prowling Ghosts make their return. This is September 10th from the Liverpool Mercury. They printed this tale of a captured ghost. Early on Wednesday morning, when the old clock of Eckington Parish Church had just struck two, one of the guardians of the night was proceeding on his beat in the vicinity of the church with measured tread, when he was not a little surprised at very strange noises proceeding from the churchyard. With tremulous and cautious steps, he ventured to the wall which surrounded the burial ground and saw a figure in white moving to and fro the apparition turning its attention to the officer said all solemnly who are you and whence do you come the officer very promptly told the ghost who he was and when the latter invited him to come forward assuring the officer that he need not be afraid he would not harm him but protect him the ghost then adopted means quite contrary to those which would induce the policeman to approach him by giving vent to screams of murder the officer, however, after his amazement was somewhat abated, did approach, and he who had made night hideous, instead of stalking off like an ill-used ghost, was captured, and discovered to be a tradesman named Septimus Statton of Mowbray, who had been visiting the haunts of black spirits and white, red spirits and gray throughout the day. He was almost in a state of nudity, having nothing on but his shirt. He said his family had turned him out of doors, and that he had been canvassing for Egerton and Strout in the liberal interest. About this time, his son came upon the scene and tried to persuade his father to go home, but being of an aristocratic turn of mind, he declined to do so and was provided with a carriage. As this accommodation was not vouchsafed, he thought it advisable that he should go and see the rector about it. Instead of being accompanied to the rectory, he was taken to the police station, where he was detained until daylight. Then he was furnished with a suit of clothes and taken home. The poor man has been for some time demented." 
first of all, let's talk about Septimistatin. Is that I mean, there's so many fantastic names in here. Even if you are going to lose it, pray that your name is Septimistatin. Right. If you're going to make the paper, have a Mm -hmm. cool name. So he's just a guy walking as a ghost. Yeah, I mean, he seems to be embodying a ghost and then also kind of losing it at the same time, according to story. It is a liminal state. But just eight days later, Mm -hmm. the same paper has a story of another captured ghost. They're really quite literally coming out of the woodwork. (laughs) (laughs) Capture of a ghost. The inhabitants of Airdrie have during the past week been much exercised by a rumor that a ghost was in the habit of nightly haunting Chapel Street and its vicinity. Various reports were circulated as to the affair, some affirming that the ghost had come out of the Chapel Street churchyard, having been forced therefrom by the overcrowding that prevails there, while others confidently stated that it was merely a silly prank. One night lately, a young woman was proceeding home and had reached a dark part of the street when she met the ghostly apparition, which was a tall figure with a black face and habited in a white garment which had a luminous appearance. She was so overcome that she fainted away. The girl's mother, looking out of the window of her house, also saw the ghost going down Wellington Street and got such a fright that she took to her bed and, we understand, is still ill. Three young men, who had heard of these circumstances, went out for the purpose of meeting the ghost and punishing it. Their wish was gratified, but a sight of the fearful spectacle, as one of them termed it, proved too much for their courage and they ran away. On Monday night, the ghost proceeded to a brick field in the vicinity for the purpose of obtaining a light for his pipe at one of the kilns there, being evidently human enough to partake of the fragrant weed. (laughs) While enjoying his smoke, he was suddenly interrupted by the appearance of some of the workmen, who, seeing his strange guise, seized him and demanded his name. The ghost proved to be a tall man, with his face covered up with a black mask and having himself wrapped up in a white sheet. He refused to tell them his name, but stated that he was doing it for a wager, at the same time begging to be released. The men took pity on him and let him off, and Chapel Street has since been freed of his presence. It is certainly to be regretted that the men did not detain the ghost for a night in the police cell, when the infliction of a smart fine in the morning would have made him hesitate the next time he was inclined to repeat his foolish and cruel pranks. That's kind of like a a classic Spring Hill Jack thing, like very early on that people talk about how it was sort of like a wager that they bet other kids to do it or... Yeah, these same themes do seem to like pop up again and again. These seem a lot less uh, sinister than some of the the Spring Hill Jack of the the 1850s, 60s we were reading. Yeah, there is a change in tone a bit. I feel like this might be circular though. (laughs) Because things scarier than ghosts are coming. Things much scarier and much more brutal are coming. In 1871, an entity known as the Peckham Ghost starts breaking windows in that region of London. After the activity seemed to cease, and then it resumed again in 1872, one paper noted that the vandalism was so mysterious that some wondered if it wasn't the work of a disturbed, departed spirit. That's a quote from the paper. One description of the entity said it was about six feet high, dressed in a long overcoat, having white lining, which, when thrown open, aided by a white waistcoat and outstretched arms, gave the desired effect, a dark felt hat, and a plume of feathers, with which he hides his ignominious features. Guy has some Phantom of the Opera vibes. November 9th, 1872, the Ipswich Journal reports on another prowling ghost. A ghost of portentous size and very terrible to behold, wandering about at night and frightening people nearly out of their senses. That is what is reported in South London. The inhabitants of that suburb have been horribly alarmed lately by this mysterious visitor who is said to leap over obstacles as easily as Springhill Jack. 
Among others, two young ladies going to church were very much frightened by this apparition, which appeared to them from behind trees. It is a pity, I think, that some resolute man cannot be found in South London to exorcise this ghost with a good stout stick. Oddly enough, such specters feel a cudgel well applied, and anyone playing such an absurd and cruel practical joke richly deserves a thrashing, and I trust on its next appearance this ghost will meet its desserts. Calling for a little uh, social little... justice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or anti-social justice, as the case may be. Springhill Jack appears again, November 1877. This article is from the Illustrated Police News, November 3rd. A Spring-Heeled Jack jumping on Newport Arch. A correspondent sends us the following account, together with a sketch of a scene at Newport. For some time past, says our contributor, the neighborhood of Newport, near Lincoln, has been disturbed each evening by a man dressed in sheepskin, or something of the kind, with a long white tail. The man who is playing this mischief has springs to his boots and can jump a height of fifteen or twenty feet. The other night he jumped onto a cottage and got into a window on the roof, and so frightened the ladies that one has not yet recovered the shock. Some other people were so much frightened by this object that every night a large mob of men armed with sticks and stones assemble and attempt to catch him, but to no avail. The nuisance became so great that two men got guns out and chased him. The picture represents him jumping up the Newport Arch, a very old Roman building built in 45 AD. As he was jumping up, he was shot at, but so tough is the hide he wears that the shot did not penetrate it and running over the housetops on the other side, he escaped, but soon appeared in another part of the town. He was again chased, and as he was running on the wall of the new barracks, was shot at by a publican, but the shot did not appear to take effect. He has also done other tricks, and which we think worthy of a picture in the police news. So there's an illustration of this, which I will try to print in the show notes. There's an illustration on the, with the police news of him on the arch. Oh, this has that like feel of that, of every sort of turn of the century crime like early comic kind of like just the idea of these like men in these fanciful outfits jumping from well this one's really interesting because it's you know it seems to be bulletproof and again this is a supernatural thing people fire at these creatures and it's not that the people are incredibly poor shots who knows but you know several people have shot what kind of hide would you have to have that would prevent a bullet from going through maybe if you had fastened some of those springs onto your back and some sort of (laughs) chain mail well, sometimes they say they are wearing armor or chainmail, but you know it's also making these inhuman jumps. Fifteen you or twenty. You can jump twenty feet in spring heels. Fifteen or twenty feet that they're saying he's jumping and getting on, running across rooftops and stuff. This is very strange. Is this yeah. account? If true, it's very very strange. eighteen seventy seven also marked the start of another Spring Hill Jack gifted with superhuman powers around the military base at Aldershot, the Hampshire Telegraph and Naval Chronicle from october ninth, eighteen seventy eight. The Marshall Camp of Aldershot has again been honored by a visit from that evil goblin known as Spring Hill Jack, a celebrity, by the way, not altogether unknown to Portsmouth fame. Apparently the audacious individual has gained courage from the seeming inability of the military authorities to summarily terminate his mischievous pranks, and his little pleasantries of last year are being repeated with increased hardihood for the amusement of sentries on isolated posts. Whether the courageous being is the same Springhill Jack, as on previous occasions we cannot pretend to say, but his nocturnal wanderings are pursued pretty much under the same circumstances and attended by precisely the same results. 
He has been fired upon more than once, we are informed, but as would become an orthodox ghost, has always escaped scatheless, while to make matters still more wonderful, civil and military police have tried night after night in vain to capture him. Seriously speaking, however, it is scarcely credible that such idiotic tricks should remain unexposed. Practical jokes may be tolerated to a certain extent, but to suddenly pounce upon people in out-of-the-way places at night and frighten them within an inch of their lives by a wonderful display of agility is a feat no one short of a bedlamite would think of performing. An open and exposed place like Aldershot Camp may certainly afford peculiar facilities for the indulgence of such mad freaks, but surely the authorities ought to be smart enough to detect them now that they have been so frequently perpetrated, and the fact that an entire military division is subjected to the cowardly annoyance of one persistent tormentor reflects but little credit upon those in command. A general order has been issued forbidding sentries in future to fire upon any person not answering their challenge, and the knowledge of this no doubt lends Mr. Springhill Jack additional assurance. Should he, however, by some untoward chance fall into the kindly clutches of his friends, we may expect him to be brought to a tribunal which will deal forth punishment with little regard to his supernatural attributes. Even the prosaic treadmill may be suggested as a mild corrective to ghostly visitations. I like the reference to bedlam there. The display of agility is a feat no one short of a bedlamite would think of performing. So you'd have to be crazy. You'd have to be at bedlam. Yeah, yeah. The Hampshire Advertiser added more details on October 12th, 1878. It is stated that the individual whose tricks gained for him the alias of Springhill Jack has reappeared at Aldershot, where he caused much trouble and annoyance to the military authorities about two years ago. He has now recommenced his mad and mischievous freaks. He amuses himself by visiting sentries at out-of-the-way places, blocking their hats, sometimes disarms them, and subjects them to gross ill-treatment. He has been fired at more than once. But he has always escaped scatheless. He is described as a tall, powerful man and gifted with extraordinary pedestrian powers. Civil and military police were posted night after night with the object of capturing him, but without success. During the past week, he has been more than usually active about a post near the Queen's Pavilion, from which three men of the 41st Regiment have been confined but since released. One of them, Private Jackson, fired at Spring Hill but missed him. He was released on Monday when the following instructions to commanders of guards were issued by the Assistant Adjutant General. You will carefully explain to your sentries at every relief between retreat and reveille that they are on no account to fire the rifles at anyone who does not answer their challenge, pointing out to the sentries the great danger there is of their bullets injuring others than the person for whom it is intended, and also that any person being shot would probably result in the trial of the sentry shooting him by a civil court upon a serious charge. Sentries may use their bayonets in self-defense and endeavor to capture anybody interfering with them on their posts. I love how it's like, don't shoot at him, stab him. <laughs> <laughs> he comes close enough, you know. Well, if the military can't catch Spring Hill Jack, how is a woman walking alone supposed to be able to defend I mean, herself? Brave guy, right? If he's doing that, like... Being shot out and then going back again? Yeah. By the 30th of November, the Spring Hill Jack or another one starts showing up in Gosport, which is about 50 miles away from Aldershot. From the Hampshire Telegraph and Naval Chronicle... Spring Hill Jack, the erratic individual, is said to have made his appearance in this neighborhood, Gosport, and to be scaring a few timid people in those out districts, which are not much frequented. So the local papers carried various rumors about the Spring Hill Jack in the following weeks, including that it was a military man who was responsible. Then on December 24, 1878, the Bury and Suffolk Post published this summation. Spring Hill Jack, 
Various rumors have been afloat in this town for some time past relative to the alleged presence amongst us of a mountebank who, it is said, seeks to divert himself at night by frightening women and children. There seems to be no doubt that these rumors sprang primarily from one source, and as we have endeavored to ascertain the real truth of the matter, we may state that one evening, about three weeks or a month ago, the porter at the Suffolk General Hospital, hearing that the mistress of the school nearby had seen something she could not understand at the back of the school, searched for the supposed disturber. His companion soon left him, and he then strolled down the exercising ground immediately opposite the hospital. It was dark, and as he walked down the path, he saw immediately in front of him a tall figure, clothed apparently in, in black and white hairy skin, which enveloped its head and reached to the ground. The figure stood perfectly quiet and unmoved, until the porter, working around its flank, so to speak, with the intent, if possible, to see its face, prepared to throw a stone at it, whereupon the figure glided away amongst the adjacent trees, and the porter, his composure somewhat disturbed, returned to the hospital. He believes that what he saw was a man dressed up, and any sensible person will not be long in coming to the same conclusion. No other information has, however, reached us sufficiently precise to justify as in attaching much importance to these rumors, which appear to have sprung mainly from the vague fears of timid persons, acted upon by circumstances which have been unduly magnified, but which would probably bear a less alarming explanation than that accorded to them. Similar stories reached us some time ago from the camp at Outershot, and more recently from Colchester, the military being credited with this ignoble sport, which, if it were really pursued, would deserve the most condign punishment, and about a fortnight ago the following paragraph appeared in Vanity Fair. A thing singular and serious occurred last week at the quarters of a regiment stationed in the eastern counties. A number of ghosts have, as is known lately, infested the British army as though to reproach it with the departed glories of the days when it was employed otherwise than exclusively to fight second-class, well, racism. <sighs> the racism of the old days. And have seriously disturbed Thomas Atkins in his century go. So the tale runs that one of these ghosts suddenly appeared and performed antics before a sentry of the regiment in question, that the sentry raised his rifle, fired at the ghost, and shot him stone dead, after which it was discovered that the dead man was an officer of the regiment. The tale further runs that inasmuch as the sentry ought not to have been possessed of a ball cartridge, or his officer to have played the ghost, every effort is being made to hush up the affair. Again on Friday, the evening standard contained the following more definite statement. An officer of the 3rd Battalion of the 60 Rifles, one of the gallant gentlemen who have been accustomed to amuse themselves by frightening women and children after the fashion of Spring-Heeled Jack, has, we are extremely glad to hear, been laid up at Colchester in consequence of a bayonet wound in the leg inflicted by the sentry who captured him. Some of these humorous officers have been very successful in alarming and injuring residents of the district, which had the honor of holding them, and a writer in a military paper observes that the pursuit of amusement the officers in question have brought about, unfortunately, a series of evils for which a bayonet wound in the leg is not an adequate punishment. It may be that the supreme joke of frightening women in delicate health into fits, and causing results of which we do not care to speak, had emboldened the military spring-heeled jacks, and that the particular member of the body, who was now lying in Colchester, thought he could have equal fun with the sentry. But for once he made a mistake, and we trust it may be assumed that the military authorities will not suffer the matter to rest where it is, and consider that the offender has been sufficiently punished by the wound. What sort of discipline can be expected from soldiers during their leisure hours when officers thus misconduct themselves? The wounded young gentleman seems to have been caught in flagrante delicto, and residents in that neighborhood of garrison towns 
would hear with great satisfaction that a court-martial will be waiting to inquire into the matter as soon as ever this too jocular rifleman is ready to appear before it. On Saturday evening, however, the same journal contained the following contradiction of this circumstantial story. Colonel W. Lee Pemberton, commanding the 3rd Battalion, 60th Rifle, contradicts the statement to which we gave currency yesterday on the authority of a local paper to the effect that an officer of his battalion was wounded in the leg by a sentry who captured him while personating a spring Jack. Colonel Lee Pemberton asserts that the journal from which we quoted is entirely an error, as no officer with his battalion has been so wounded. One would scarcely imagine that there can be so much smoke without any fire, but at present there appears to be no substantial foundation for the terrors which have taken possession of many persons here and elsewhere. So use your bayonet and maybe or maybe not. We're going <laughs> to use this bayonet. <laughs> On maybe may or may not have been a spring hill jack or could have just been another guy he worked with. <laughs> exactly. Some people do tend to be slightly overzealous in their willingness to help. <laughs> You never got to meet my dog, Barney. I've heard tell of him. I know. I talk about him all the time. I right? know. We saw pictures of him. This is a dog who died before, like when you were, what, a teenager? First year of college. Yeah. I spent third grade through college with this dog. And he was the perfect puppy. Absolutely was the perfect puppy. But not every puppy starts out perfect. And the thing is, I can't tell you how he became the perfect puppy. So I couldn't help you make the perfect puppy. We had this perfect relationship between us. If you want that with your puppy and you want help getting that perfect relationship, you want 90 days to the perfect puppy, they will help you understand how your dog thinks, which is not the way you think. And they will help you apply proactive training methods so you can have the perfect relationship with your puppy. It's a relationship-based approach that helps you and your puppy become perfect for each other. They have online sources, video lessons, a secret Facebook group, and there are one-on-one -on -one options available as well. You can find it at sithappens.us. You look for the 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy link at the top of the page. And click on that, and that'll take you to 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy. like to thank the patrons for their patronage absolutely we could not do this show without the patrons no. without their support which has been so generous in normal times and in these abnormal times it means so much so thank you so much patrons what we do to thank our patrons is offer exclusive content we do one or more exclusive shows every month we guarantee one but we often do more full episodes of Strange Familiars, and you can get these by becoming a patron at Patreon. It's patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. And there at Patreon, we have different levels, things like artwork and copies of my book and Strange Familiars t-shirts and more. You can check it all out at Patreon, patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. For those who don't like the idea of a monthly subscription, we also offer a paypal.me link. You can find that in the show notes under every episode. Click on that and make a one-time payment. Everyone can help by sharing the show on social media. You can like and subscribe wherever you're listening, whatever podcatcher you use, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, even YouTube. Make sure to like and subscribe. And by leaving us those nice five-star reviews, 
That helps get the show in front of new potential listeners. So we made it all the way up to the end of 1878. We're headed into the Gilded Age. We are going all the way up to 1900 or so with these doors. So we're going to basically cover the whole 19th century as we go. I like to say that as we're entering the 1880s, this is a time when um, freak shows and grotesque things and museums of curiosity are, are becoming quite the norm. So seeing a monster isn't as much isn't as isn't uh, as shocking isn't as shocking as it used to be because you can see it for entertainment now so very soon possibly by the time you're listening to this my new book written with my co-author joshua cutchin should be available on amazon it's called where the footprints end high strangeness and the bigfoot phenomena volume one there's two volumes of this there's so much weirdness associated with bigfoot we probably could have done three volumes if we really dug in, but we're going to do two. The first volume should be available now. You can check it out at Amazon. I will have copies soon if you want signed copies. Unfortunately, if you want signed copies from both me and Josh, you're probably going to have to do something like get the book from me and then mail it to Josh <laughs> or find some conference where we're both there together because Josh is in Georgia and I'm in Pennsylvania. And while we are appropriately socially distanced, it also makes... <laughs> Signing at the same time, impossible. I gave a speech at Greg and Dana Newkirk's PhenomenaCon. They were very nice. The PhenomenaCon audience was very nice. And I had a run on the Etsy shop afterwards. And I sold a whole bunch of original art. So I added a whole bunch more in all different kinds of price ranges. So if you're interested in picking up a piece of my original artwork, you can go to our Etsy shop. The link's in the show notes. And you should be getting more stock of some of your older books as well. Yeah, I'll be restocking the old books that, that sold out immediately after that conference. It was uh, very, very nice. Very, very nice, the audience at that conference. Some of the original art there is actual illustrations from my books. And when you buy those, it comes with a copy of the book. So you get a copy of the book signed by me and the illustration in which the book appeared. You can check that out. Etsy shop name, Lost Grave, or in the show notes. We'll have links to our Etsy shop. I want to thank Stephen C. and Allison C., unrelated, <laughs> two separate C's, for their very, very kind PayPal donations. Thank you so much. We will return soon with more Strange Familiars, Episode 4 of spring Jack and Other Prowling Ghosts. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts, music, books, art, podcasts, and more, darkhollerarts.com. Intro and background music is by Stonebreath. Go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com for more. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars, where you can also join the Strange Familiars Gathering Group. And we're on Instagram, at strangefamiliars.
Satan's kitchen To break my fast one morning There I got souls piping hot All on the spits are turning And still I sing Bunny boys, bunny mad boys Bedlam boys are bunny For they all go bare and they live by the air They want no drink, no money It's men that I'll be murdering Man in the woods of the 
book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.